Hi, this is Gillian Gotzel, world diplomat of Liberland, and you're listening to Dream Chasers, interviews with the future. There are definitely opportunities. The key is looking for the underlying zoning. I know that there is definitely a market for folks who are buying single family houses in Portland that are in a commercial zone, and it is possible to convert those to Airbnb units. And now a word from our sponsor, Liberty Real Estate Fund. Liberty Real Estate Fund is creating the world's first single tenant net lease security token fund by joining blockchain technology in 30 years of institutional real estate investment experience to deliver stable, diversified, tax-efficient returns combined with liquidity, security, and transparency. Michael Flight, co-founder of Liberty Real Estate Fund, or also known as LibertyFund.io, likes to quote Peter Thiel, look at what in your industry is inevitable, but no one sees coming. The founders at LibertyFund.io asked the question, what if you could combine all the benefits of wealth creation, inflation protection, and cash flowing income of real estate with the liquidity and ease of worldwide use presented by Bitcoin? It became apparent that blockchain technology would disrupt, but also enhance the real estate investment world. So the guys at Liberty spent a few years and mucho dollars researching, designing, and building a superior investment strategy to get the best aspects of commercial real estate, which again include wealth generation, inflation protection, tax benefits, the ability to leverage your investment, tangible value, and cash flowing regular income with all of the benefits of blockchain, including security, transparency, cost efficiencies, worldwide distribution, liquidity, and immediate transfers. Don't miss the next big trend. You can get their new free real estate blockchain investing 2020 report at libertyfund.io. Yes, that's libertyfund.io. Folks, this is a quality report and it's free. Be sure to tell them that Adam at Dream Chasers sent you. Thank you. This is Dream Chasers, episode 128 with Suja Sham. Hey guys. Hi, Grandma. This is Adam Carswell and welcome to Dream Chasers, interviews with the future. On Dream Chasers, we bring next level talent to the light. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's get straight to the interview. Hey guys, this is Adam Carswell, and today I'm joined by Suja Sham. Suja is a hospitality entrepreneur and real estate investor. She was born and raised in Los Altos, California, went to Northwestern University for her undergrad and then Carnegie Mellon for her MBA and master's in public policy. So. A lot smarter than me today. You guys will get to see that. <laughs> she now lives in Portland, Oregon, and just really grateful to have her here on, on the show. We've got some cool background stories coming up for you guys. But Suja, thank you for coming on Dream Chasers. Do you have any opening remarks for our listeners? It's great to be here, Adam. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes. So guys, uh, first met Suja. It's crazy because I think with COVID, everything seems like time has um, moved quicker, slower. I, what I'm getting at is Suja and I met last January at the Intelligent Investors Real Estate Conference, but it definitely feels like we've known each other for like two or three years now. After meeting up at the conference, we, uh, you know, she was great, followed up. Um, we went to Venice Beach and hung out and then she ended up moving forward with the mentorship program not, not too long after that and have just seen her grow with everyone in our network. You know what? I didn't say the Cashflow Connections Mentorship Program is, the, is a course that myself and Hunter Thompson, really Hunter, <laughs> teaches for commercial real estate professionals on really just how to supercharge what they're doing and take it to the next level. So Suja was a part of one of our groups for that 
And uh, it's just been amazing to, to watch her on this journey. She was just on Hunter's podcast as well with Tate Durier and Mary Wynn, some other great names. So kind of just throwing it all out there, guys. We have a really rock star guest with us here today. So Suja, I'll kind of flip it over to you now to just fill in the blanks on anything that I maybe didn't touch on. Yeah, no, that was great. It's kind of amazing to think that we just met in January when so much has changed and happened since then. We're living in a a new world in a lot of ways, and it's been a year of adaptation and growth. And it's really been a tremendous experience to do the mentorship program alongside so many fine individuals and to grow in that field. Super happy to have met you at the at the conference, Adam. It is now time to step into the next level chamber. All right. So the topic of today's discussion is hospitality hacks, how to win during COVID. And you know what, Suja, we're going to have to ask you to maybe go through your background here a little bit and how you got into hospitality. But I know that guys, when I first met Suja, one of the biggest things she said was, you know, she achieved financial freedom through the hospitality industry, Airbnb to be specific. So backtrack a little bit here, Suja, tell us a little bit about your background, and then we're going to get into what you're doing now in this time when it seems like, you know, no one wants to touch hospitality, what you're doing to position yourself to be successful over the next four years. Absolutely. So Adam, I first got interested in real estate really when I was a kid, because my dad had three rental properties growing up and I kind of vaguely was exposed to the world of being a small landlord through him. I understood that it was for our financial future and that it was an investment in time. And also I, I would see that he was gone, you know, um, Sometimes in the afternoons, he'd be working on the rentals. And that was not an uncommon thing. When I was figuring out what to do with my life and career, I tried a bunch of different things. And I eventually started to fall in love with real estate for many reasons. One, I just, I felt like the building blocks of our built environment that humans put in buildings and those define our environment, it affects the landscape of a community for at least 30 years typically. And I felt that that was just a really important component of community development and urban design and living a good life in cities. After my business school experience, I chose to dive into the finance side of multifamily real estate and affordable housing. And I became an underwriter of affordable multifamily transactions. And I was working for an institutional equity investor. I was underwriting deals that ranged from $2 million to $60 million across the different organizations that I worked for. I worked on the debt providing side and I worked for two equity investors. During that whole process, I knew that there was a piece of me that was not being fulfilled working for institutional investors. I have an entrepreneurial core in me really, and just wasn't being fulfilled within my career in those institutions. I just knew I had to break out of that. And to make a long story short, one of my companies went through a merger. I ended up taking a break from my career and traveling for 18 months and then kind of having a come to Jesus moment of like, oh my gosh, I need to be an entrepreneur because this is an amazing opportunity for me to not just jump back into another job, but to actually like recapture this part of myself. And so I dove into the world of entrepreneurialism and I kind of tried a few different things. And eventually I ended up settling. I became a hospitality, an Airbnb host almost by accident. I had had a house and I was house hacking. I started house hacking before I really knew what the term meant. So what I did was I had purchased a house in Portland and I was renting 
rooms to friends. And it was great. My was my house was cash flowing from day one when I purchased it. Um, when I went to go travel, all I had to do was rent out my room and the house was still cash flowing. So it was pretty remarkable to have that experience without really having the foresight of, of knowing that I was going to be traveling when I purchased the house. And then when I came back from my travels, I ended up realizing that there was somebody who was living in our basement room and that person had chosen to just have a hot plate and use the bathroom sink, basically just stay down in the basement. Like she never wanted to come upstairs and share the, the rest of the house with people. She just wanted to live downstairs. And it was this like light bulb moment for me where I'm like, wow, like that's a tiny apartment. And my partner is a general contractor. He helped me build a kitchenette down there and redo the bathroom. We had an egress window. We slowly started making it nicer. And I threw it on Airbnb kind of just like as a temporary strategy to before I found another tenant. And then it turned out the money was so consistent and so good that I just kept making it nicer and improving the guest experience and just realizing how consistent and good the income was. Of course, it is seasonal, but it was very good, consistent income, reliable, steady income. And I liked it so much that I started just adding more Airbnb units basically to my portfolio. We, we could talk more about that, but that's kind of how I got started in Airbnb. I went from one to two to three to seven, and that's how I reached financial independence. Love it. The the Airbnb to financial independence story. You're the only one I know that actually has done that. You know, you hear these stories all the time on podcasts of people doing it. So that's cool. Guys, if you want any Airbnb hacks, this is your person, as we've said already, you know, that the title of this episode is Hospitality Hacks, How to Win During COVID. So um, the reason why we're saying how to win is because before today's call, I was talking to Suja and she mentioned, you know, a lot of different things that she's working on as a hospitality entrepreneur to make sure that she's successful in what she's doing now. And then you know, I say into the future because I actually heard someone on another show recently mention that you know, hospitality will quote unquote, get back to where it was by 2024. So again, in my opinion, I mean, now is actually a time to be paying a lot of attention to it. Cause if you know what you're doing right now and you position yourself well, right now, once 2024 rolls around, you'll just ideally be sitting back on that victory. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on now to uh, kind of keep yourself ahead of the curve. Yeah, certainly. Well, one reason why I've always liked hospitality is because the backup strategy is long-term rental. And so even if for some reason people are traveling less, which before COVID when never would have predicted it would be a pandemic, then there's still people who need housing. Like we always need housing. And that's one of the reasons people like multifamily. And that's one of the reasons why I like Airbnb. What happened when COVID hit is it was just, it was very, very difficult. All of the reservations got canceled. There was so much uncertainty and even if a guest were to have made a booking a couple months in advance, you had no idea whether or not they were going to keep that booking. What I ended up doing to deal with the uncertainty, because I had such a huge portion of my income coming from hospitality, is I decided to put my units on medium-term rentals, so two to six-month rentals. When you have seven properties, which isn't necessarily all, all that many, but still it was a substantial amount, I was able to rent those out to people who are in some kind of life transition, whether they're just in school for four months and want to spend the time in Portland, or they're buying a house, or they are, there's a host of situations, they're in Portland temporarily for a job. So these are the types of folks that I'm renting to, and it will allow me to basically put my units back on Airbnb when the demand is at a place where I want it to be. So I'll test it out, I can put one or two or three or four back on this 
this year. And if it's good, then I can just keep transitioning more. And so that's kind of how I'm preparing myself to weather the storm and also really take advantage of when it's time to come back. And so you're a little bit of an Airbnb seasoned professional, because I think there's a lot of people getting into Airbnb now, even after COVID has hit, because there is an opportunity. I think when you look at hospitality, specifically, hotels are taking a hit, but it doesn't seem like Airbnb is necessarily taking a hit. So I guess what would be like some advice as someone who's kind of been through this a few times now to someone who's just getting started in Airbnb to make sure that, you know, they're getting ready to run a profitable business that's worth their time? Sure. Well, the number one criteria that a new Airbnb investor should look for is to make sure that the property will cash flow as a long-term rental, period. That's just, you have to get a property that's going to cash flow as a long-term rental if you really want to protect yourself going forward. So whether you're going to purchase the place and have a mortgage or whether you're going to do rental arbitrage and you've worked that out with your landlord and it's you know within the city ordinances of the city that you're operating, then make sure that you can pay your all of your bills if you just have a long-term tenant. And actually, uh, so rental arbitrage, that's actually, again, within the past year or two, I feel like something that I've seen becoming popular. Could you kind of just explain what exactly that looks like? I don't know if, and if you, if you are doing it by chance, I don't know if you're doing it, but just kind of explain to our listeners what that is. So I'm not currently doing rental arbitrage, but it's a model that I definitely have looked at and have considered and and may consider in the future. Rental arbitrage is when you find um, and, you know, you have to do your research and you have to make sure that that you're allowed to rent out units on Airbnb on a short term basis in whatever city that you're operating in. So cities can have very complex and different rules and you know, I prefer to set myself up so that I'm operating in line with the city ordinances. And I think most people who are taking this business seriously are going to do so as well. Mm-hmm. So the rental arbitrage models, you essentially find a landlord that's willing to rent to you. Maybe they have, for some reason, they're willing to rent to you and you have to make sure that they're going to allow you to sublease the property. You want to be completely above board with your landlord because it's a lot of time and money that you're investing into the space. And if you are, if they're not cool with it, or if it's not legal or something, then probably not, it might not work out for you in the long run. So make sure that it's, you're upfront with them. There's ways to talk to them. And lots of people are teaching about how to talk to landlords when you're trying to set these leases up. And so essentially what you're doing is you're adding a service on top of it. So landlords, when you're just renting on a long-term basis, you don't offer as many services, right? You just you hand over the keys, you make sure that everything's working. You don't have to, you don't have as much overhead. Whereas with Airbnb, you got to make sure that the place is cleaned and kept and tidy and everything that needs to be stocked is stocked. There's a lot more services that you're adding onto it. And so it's like when you buy a water bottle at a vending machine, it costs $1.25. But if you were to buy it in a 24 pack, at Costco or something, it would cost like maybe 50 cents. And so it's the same idea with rental arbitrage where you're able to charge more because you're offering the convenience for somebody to come and stay somewhere for just three days or whatever it may be. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. And um, yeah, again, something to look into guys. I I highly recommend just uh, double checking and what's the word? Let's say fact checking because I know Sue just spitting the truth, but just look into everything she's shared so far. I think there's a lot of opportunity lying there for anyone who's, who's interested in creating a new stream of income in their life. So you mentioned before our call 
that you're working on uh, sounds like a boutique hotel type of project or uh, some type of hotel project, which sounds really interesting. And again, I want to hear kind of your take on why you're excited about it, because I think, again, to the to the naked eye, average investor, it's, they probably would just overlook the opportunity that you're getting into right now. Yeah, certainly. I had three Airbnb units at one point, and I wanted to kind of purchase another piece of real estate. And I love the Airbnb model so much that I, this is in 2018, where I wanted to find ideally a property that I could do more Airbnb with. And so the first thing that I was looking for, so I spent, you know, about nine months looking for a property to buy. And it was at the top of the market in Portland. You know, I didn't get much of a discount, but my value add strategy was turning it into a hotel. And so what I was looking for was I was looking for any property that was in a, a in a commercial zone in the city of Portland, because if the property is in a commercial zone, then you can get the, you can have, you have the underlining zoning required to be able to convert it to a hotel. And then B, I was looking for a property that I wouldn't have to do that much work to that was already kind of more or less set up for today's building codes and what the city would allow to be a a hotel. And so, for example, some of those things are the width of the hallways and whether the building is sprinklered. And um, so I found a building that was built in 2013, which meant that it was built to the most recent building code standards, which which were published in 2012. And I, it was in a zone in Portland that was commercial. CM3 is what it's called in Portland, which is mm -hmm. commercial multifamily. It's like the most dense. So it was pretty much perfect for what I wanted to do. And I, there were still some unknowns, you know, as you know, and as, as Hunter will speak to, whenever you get into any kind of development project or you need to change the use, even if you have the underlying zoning, it, it can still be, it, there's still a lot of unknowns. And I was hoping to minimize the amount of unknowns that I had when I purchased this building. And I, and I think I did, but I, I did still have to go through a, a pretty long process in order to actually get the official legal designation as a hotel. And so I've had to go hire an architect and go to the city and go back mm. to the city and negotiate with the city and try to get them to make me do less than what they wanted me to do. And eventually, finally, we settled on, I did have to kind of build two staircases and whatnot. And, you know, I always kind of looked at it with the payback period in mind. So when I thought about how much it was going to cost, I just decided, okay, well, if it's under the most, it's going to be is a two-year payback, where the profits that I generate from the hotel well, it'll take me at most two years to pay back those costs. And then it's just going to be straight cash flow after that. That's kind of how I gauged whether or not I thought that it was worth going forward with. And I, you know, there were a lot of decisions along the way, like maybe I'll just convert two units instead of four to like the hotel use. And anyway, so that's a little bit about the develop that most recent development project. And I think it's going to be a hundred percent worth it because regulation is now happening in Portland starting in 2020 the city required Airbnb to share data with, with them so that they could enforce their regulations. And so up until now, there have been, say, 7,000 short-term rental units in the city of Portland, and 4,000 of those are not technically legal. Like, they're not mm. technically legal in that they don't, they're not compliant with the city of Portland's ordinances. Mm. And so now that regulation's kicking in, I'll have my hotel, which will be a total legal Airbnb unit. And that will, you know, there'll be increased demand for places like mine. So I feel like it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you're, I mean, anyone uh, who wants to kind of replicate what you've just done, they might have to look for another city. <laughs> you are, you are definitely ahead of the yeah. curve, right? There's, uh, do you think there's other opportunities like that in Portland now, or now that the, the law is kind of in place, 
you would oh, have there's to, definitely yeah. there are definitely opportunities. The key is looking for the underlying zoning. I know that there is definitely a market for folks who are buying single family houses in Portland that are in a commercial zone. And it is possible to convert those to Airbnb units. You know, every house is going to be different and you don't exactly know what you're getting into. So that's kind of part of being an entrepreneur is that you got to balance like how much of a risk are you willing to take? Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line for me when I purchased this property and I wasn't sure about it was I was like, well, it's a new building in the center of the city. And even if I'm not buying it at a discount right now, it's still going to be a good investment. I can still refinance in a few years. And as a long-term rental, it's still going to be at least a decent investment. It's not going to be like a headache of an investment. Mm. It'll be kind of like I, I bought like a class A institutional grade property. And that, that was, I was just fine with that, you know? Yeah. So oh, that's good. I think, and as you said, the key is looking for the underlying zoning, right? Yeah. That goes for any jurisdiction, key. right? That's the first key. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, guys, if you want to, um, you know, reach out to Suja and if any of this, anything you've heard so far today is of interest to you, I highly recommend reaching out to Suja. She's going to know what she's talking about more than I am. I'm the messenger today. <laughs> so, but yeah, this has been awesome. Definitely a topic that I don't think we've really covered yet on Dream Chasers. So happy to have you come on and share with us, Suja. Before we close it out, was there anything else going on in your world right now that maybe you wanted to touch on today or maybe something that we left out the interview that you think was important? Well, Airbnb and, and hospitality is near and dear to my heart, as you know, because that's how I reached financial independence. All the while that I was building that business, I knew that I wanted to diversify out of hospitality because as much as I love it, I also know that it's somewhat contingent upon how the economy is doing. And I wanted to add more recession-resistant real estate to my portfolio and also provide those kinds of investing opportunities to my friends and family and people in my network. And so that's why I got connected up with Hunter. And that's one of my focuses right now at this time is finding recession resistant investments that I'm excited to put my own money into it and excited to invite my friends and family to put their money into it. And so we're working on, we did a self storage fund earlier this year and we're working on an ATM fund and a mobile home park fund coming up. So I still love hospitality and I'm excited to diversify. So that's not the only thing in my portfolio. Right. Thank you for, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. And also, you know, if anyone listening today potentially wants to invest with you or, you know, reach out, we'll get that now. What, what would be um, the single one best way to follow up and get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with me is to email me and we can put that in the show notes, but just to spell it out, it's Sujata at lux-cap.com as in Lux Capital. So S-U-J-A-T as in Timothy, A at L-U-X-E hyphen C-A-P as in Peter.com. Boom. There you guys go. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming on luxcap.com for the, for example, the um, the other asset classes that you just mentioned, is there information there about potentially investing with you? Yeah, there's definitely information on the site um, so far, but the best way to learn about is to get on my email list. And so if you can just send me an email, I'm happy to hook you up and send, start sending you some of our information about the deals we have and our newsletter. Well said. All right, perfect. Thanks. Um, oh, and one more thing. How could I forget, Suja? need you to give a shout out to someone you've never given a shout out to before. Yeah, well, I was wanting to give a shout out to my economics professor from Northwestern University. 
That's Mark Witte. Just going back and talking about my story, I just really am grateful for the many conversations I had with Mark Witte, who was just always so patient and so willing to offer his guidance to any student that approached him. And I've just remembered some of those conversations to this day as conversations that continue to influence how I make decisions about my life going forward. So thank you, Mark. You were instrumental in helping me understand how to put together the pieces of my life. Boom. Thank you, Mark. You see, you heard the, the life story here today. You're a big part of it. So thank you for your guidance with Suja and uh, hope that you get to check out Dream Chasers. Subscribe to us. We'd be honored to have Mark Witte as a listener. <laughs> so, all right. Well, Suja, now we are here finally at the end. One more time. Any, any closing remarks for our listeners here today? Oh, just thanks so much, Adam, for the conversation. It was great to talk about something that's so near and dear to my heart, my, one of my first journeys as an entrepreneur. And I'm super happy to get in touch with anybody who wants to talk about hospitality or passive recession-resistant real estate investing. There you go, guys. So feel free to reach out. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thank you for tuning in to Dream Chasers, interviews with the future. We will catch you in the next episode. Remember, in all you think, say, and do take it to the next level. Thank you so much for investing your time with us here today. Quick call to action. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to share, subscribe, or leave us a rating. It really helps a ton with the SEO and visibility of the show. Thank you guys once again, and remember, take it to the next level.